Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for Podcast. Gentlemen, the situation is dire. Our enemies have taken complete control of the compound, and we've been locked together in this room, trapped, unable to escape. Fortunately, however, this is the workshop, and we have cutting tools, acetylene torches, we have the frame of a large Transam vehicle over there, suitable for armor plating. Also, perhaps uh, some remote control uh, helicopters that we can send out there to drop smoke bombs or something. We can come crashing out of the workshop in our armored vehicle together, having constructed it in a montage sequence. Wow, that's that's really (laughs) 80s of us. Um, But that's probably a good thing, because we are all 80s kids. Uh, Present are uh, Leo Howlin' Mad Stableford, one of the 80s kids. Damn it, you could pick me. (laughs) (laughs) I think Justin is the Howling Mad. Uh, I hate to say that, I think you could be be the Colonel, you could be Hannibal. Yes, I'm going to pull off my rubber mask now and reveal my cigar. Howling <laughs> uh, Mad is over there. Howling Mad he loves it when the podcast comes together. <laughs> yes, I do. I do, in fact, love it when a podcast comes together. Uh, so yeah, Leo is here. Uh, I suppose. Is... I, I, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, no, I suppose I, I'll be faced not on the basis that I'm quite handsome, but the fact that I'm quite the cowardly one of the group or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm oh. BA. This is what we're left with, guys. It's face or BA. Oh, oh it's the first series. I could be Amy, the reporter. Okay, <laughs> Amy, the reporter. You go, Justin. You go. You claim murder. See if I care. <laughs> and I am in. Yes, and we together we are the A-T's kids. A-T's. <laughs> uh, see, we're having fun already, and that's the thing. Because yeah. last time, I mean, yeah, we, I, I have to say, uh, I enjoyed the last show immensely. And in fact, maybe a little more than I thought I would going through the annals of UK television aimed at children. Um, And and this week we're going to go through... um, Not every show we've got is possibly aimed squarely at children, but certainly it's all coming in under the heading of of family viewing. Maybe we should start with the ones that are probably more aimed towards children and one that I'm not really going to say much about at all due to the fact that I've never even watched it, which is uh, this thing, Benji, Zacks and the Alien Prince. Let's uh, start there. Ian, go ahead. I suppose as I inflicted it on the list, I suppose I should talk about it. Uh, I believe Benji was like an acting dog who, who had some note of his own. I think he had a, a movie or a TV series of his own. And so he was he was given the science fiction model of uh, being the intelligent dog companion to uh, the alien prince, whose name escapes me, who is a refugee on Earth, um, who is hiding from agents uh, also from outer space who are hunting him. Uh, and he's assisted by his goofy robot who is like a golden flying donut with a sort of telescopic head and some goggle eyes on the end of them, who, who is Zax. 
uh, well, Zach, and um, Zach has a laser and a few other compliments. But basically, they're, they're kind of a goofy team. And the alien prince has this metal bracelet he needs to keep himself alive on Earth. And the two, you know, alien agents have metal bracelets. And their own robot, who turns up at the end of the first series and subsequently becomes the recurring villain uh, thereafter. And it's essentially, the plot is, you know, the, the prince goes to some new area in America and the, uh, the agents are there as well. And there's a bit of a, you know run around and then they get out of there again uh, and I, I mainly remember it at the time because it, of the robot more than the dog and the alien prince politics malarkey that was going on you know on. now that you've actually written that down I have seen an episode of it but I didn't know what it was <laughs> I, I mean I, I might be getting confused a bit with the littlest hobo on this okay um, but I do I mean I, I, I can remember Benji I can remember the flying robot pretty much exactly you know this kind of copper and gold kind of thing but, I mean, that's about it. That's, that's where my, you know... Curiously, I remember the feature that all the aliens had to wear the bracelets. And then, yeah. the fact, now that you've put it in that context, the alien prince, who sounds... I mean, I think that's a, that's a, a, a bad way to put it. It was a boy, wasn't it? The alien prince yeah, was a little boy with a bracelet on. And then, because it sounds like Benji and Zach's are going to be kids, and the alien prince is going to be, I don't know, something else. But, in fact, it was a boy with a dog and a golden robot. And yeah. The, yeah, yes, they had a bracelet. No. So you yeah. have you have small fear animal and robot there. So the, the the kids' side is pretty well covered as far as the producers are concerned, I imagine. Yes. So being yeah. pursued by adults, which is the perfect arrangement for yeah. a children's series. Um. So yeah. So that that's that's basic. I mean, there's not much more to say about that. I mean, the weird <laughs> thing about it is the, the name. I think. I think if you're going to have a big yeah. list of names for a show about this. That, I, I don't think that's a high scorer in my book. I don't know. It, it's strange that the dog gets top billing, isn't it, really? Yeah, but then he was he was the star, wasn't he? I mean, he has been... He was, yeah. or, well, anyway, certainly a dog looking like that. I think, that's I think, I think his grandson thing. was the dog, the first dog from the Wolf TV series that was on ITV a few, uh, in, in the late 80s, I think. Yeah. But Benji was quite a big name at the time in the, in the dog acting world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was a vehicle, wasn't it? I mean, that, you know... For that kind of yeah. thing, but I, say I can't. I honestly can't comment anymore because I just don't remember much about it at all. The only, it's, yeah, uh, that's because it was Benji's accident in Prince. So it was stranger later for me to catch stories where it's literally just about a dog called Benji, who, yeah. who is who is not evading aliens, but you know, dealing with terrorists or something. I don't know. Whatever, whatever dogs do in these things. <laughs> the only, the only show that I on the list that is that came squarely at children that I have seen in some detail is uh, a show. From the 80s, at some point, I think 1982, called Voyagers! Exclamation point. Um, the exclamation point is actually part of the title, so that's where it is. Um, in which a a sort of um, sort of a, a, atypical beefcake um, with a golden pocket watch is a time policeman, and he accidentally ends up uh, going places with a wise-mouthed kid through various historical periods. It was kind of a forerunner to Quantum Leap. In many ways, um, but in other ways, it, it just was like this kids show where they they had an adventure in a different time period. Uh, as, as long as they visited a time period that was in some way reflected on the uh, universal backlot, they were fine. They could go anywhere, anywhere at all, as long as it, it was actually sounds nice. like a, it sounds more like a children's version of the Time Tunnel, which was a series, uh, which was a series from the sixties, as I believe. It was yes, two people yes. lost in time. 
Quantum Leap is about is about putting right things in the past, whereas Voyager just sounds like a, 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 they're, they're sort of encountering history. No, 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 no. Voyager they had to put there was something wrong. Every something was good. That's what time police do. They there are things in history that are about to go wrong. They had a little red light, and until they had put it right, the pocket watch wouldn't take them anywhere else. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I completely missed it for some reason. I missed this completely. This show, I, I only saw it uh, with Leo uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't remember it, but when this went. I think this is one of those weird things. This was a show in the states. Yeah. And I don't think that in the UK anyone ever picked it up or showed it. I don't believe it ever got aired in the UK at yeah. the time. And yet, when they produced a DVD box set of it, they made a Region 2 version and sent it over here. We're all the people who'd moved from America and had nostalgia. I don't know. I don't know who they were trying to sell it to. But I, I asked the question. It, so I watched it there. In the, in, in All right. I was going to say, how did you discover this series if it wasn't actually something you saw in the 80s? It was something that uh, one of my DVD, uh, my DVD rental by post service recommended to me as something I might enjoy. And I thought, that's weird. I've never heard of that. I'm going to get the first disc. And then I rather enjoyed it, so I watched the rest. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's kind of fascinating and, you know, it's kind of quite a, quite a canny idea to kind of use existing sets and stuff. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Just the fact that I don't know, you know, I've never heard of it before. Well, what's even more interesting about it is that you'd think it's the kind of thing that when they were doing the kind of let's buy some American television to show in the UK stuff, yeah. that they'd go, oh yeah, we'll have that because the, what's the setup is fairly easy to understand. It's it's high concept with a you know it it seems appealing, and I just don't understand why we never saw it in the UK. It's just very odd. But there we yet go. we did get Dukes of Hazard. So yes, we did get the Dukes of Hazard. Um, yes, which is again. I mean, I used to watch Dukes of Hazard when I was a kid. Obviously, went from seventies to the eighties because. Well, it's, the, it's Smokey and the Bandit, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's just a continuation yes. of what's in the films in the seventies. It's a Smokey and the Bandit TV series, essentially. But the point about that is, I don't know about. I mean, probably the adults got it. I mean, it's kind of like a sort of comic offshoot of the Western with a yeah. bit more cheek and a bit less grit. But to a kid, it's just, oh, these guys jump into a car. They've welded the doors shut for some reason. Yes. That I don't quite understand. Yeah. And then they drive the around. The General Lee, as it was called. Yes. And with, with its Confederate they, flag on top. Yes. Presumably. Occasionally they jump. No, I don't know what their opinion was on slavery, though. I, I, I think there was a really <laughs> Well, occasionally they jump across a gap. It's that, you know, it's that car stunt thing, which obviously we're going to go into vehicle based stunt kind of based dramas. Um, it's, it sits in that with a bit more comedy, I guess, and a bit more, uh, you know. Well, it was uh, prior to the age of the. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. that's, it is really strange, because if we're looking at the early 1980s, what we've got on the plate is things like uh, the end, tail end of Buck Rogers, so yes. that's very much in the sort of Star Trek vein. You have yes. Chips, you yes. have the Dukes of Hazard, Galactica 1986 with Buck Rogers, The Incredible Hulk, uh, yes. and then I haven't put it on the list, but you get Kung Fu. So you've got this kind of, the trifecta is... Science fiction, kind of like Star Trek, but with more yeah. disco balls. Yes. Um, you've got sort of workplace-based drama with a few vehicles, car chases, car chase drama, because yeah. Chips tried to be very much message-based, as yes. I recall, 
Uh, and then I, you- I never, I, I always turned over when Chips came on. It was a series <laughs> I, I just didn't watch. It was, it was on on a Sunday usually, wasn't it? And yeah. it was like it had the inviting name of Chips in the title, which, which to UK listeners means like those heated potato chips that are absolutely delightful and children <laughs> love. But no, it was about two motor, motor police motorcycle men on the couch, not about it? your favourite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then of course, yeah, you've got the Incredible Hulk and Kung Fu, which are kind of like the don't push me week by week emotional drama, which eventually someone gives up and hits someone, yeah. you know, or yeah. turns green uh, and hits someone. I am on record of saying the Incredible Hulk. I, as a kid, I found Incredible Hulk a bit boring, but. Um... Well, oh, there we sorry. go. After the super grand controversy of last week, <laughs> Incredible Hulk was absolutely one of my favourite things. I, I, oh, people love people love the Fugitive as well, and I find the Fugitive is a bit repetitive and dull as well. I didn't watch the Fugitive, but you know, it's like the Incredible Hulk. I mean, it was just you know that sci-fi that you know what's not to love about a big guy running around, you know. Because because the big guy running around is, 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 is kind of like you know, the tail end of the episode. The main part is this is incredibly sad guy who's turned up somewhere and he's got a job cleaning dishes and there's some drama going on which has to be established and then things spill out of control and then he turns into Hulk and then he leaves again well no 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 no. actually the beats of the show are he has an initial sad thing and then by 20 minutes into the show they have to contrive a situation where they're out of the way and he turns into the Hulk and and then he disappears and then he comes back as because they have to, they can't have the whole forty minutes, and then he turns into the Hulk. He has to turn to the Hulk halfway through. But of course, that does leave the problem that then you've got a Hulk situation. Yeah. So then he mops up the situation, turns into the Hulk again at the end, which completely finishes it off. Then he turns back, and yes, then he goes on the road, and he has to leave because he's turned into the Hulk. I, I, I always liked that that ending, that kind of this, that music was very iconic. The sad piano music at the end. I mean, that was just you know, and then you kind of move on to the next thing. I, I, quite I like. think I think it may just be me being a, a few years younger than you guys were, and so I wasn't quite on the same level of emo- as emotional maturity at the time. But of course, <laughs> yes. But of course, this is because this was a format, and it's a format. I mean, when you talked earlier about Benji Zaxxon the Only Prince being a sort of side runner of The Littlest Hobo, The Littlest Hobo is in fact the grandchild of The Invaders, The Fugitive, you know, all of these shows where the format was you'd have a star of the show and the way that they kept the costs down on the other actors who did, you know, who only occasionally repeated is that you had the star and they had to keep moving for some reason. So in yeah. The Fugitive, it's because he was wanted, a wanted criminal. In Incredible Hulk, it was because he was a wanted green rage monster. In the Kung Fu, it was because he was on a crest to spiritual enlightenment and someone had pushed him and he, you know, made enemies or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and in The Invaders, it was because the aliens were after him and, uh, and, and he had to move okay. on to keep out of the sight of I, aliens. I, I'm going to so, throw this out here now. I, I don't know if it's going to hit anything. There was another American TV series in the 80s, and it was about a family who gets sent to another world. And in order to get back to Earth again, or their world, uh, they have to follow a series of markers on the road. And each week it's generally about them being in a different kind of place in this other world. And none of you know what that is. No. Nope. But if you do know, please write to our Facebook page. Yes. <laughs> Wow, I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. Oh. Um, it's a slight digression, but they did repeat this in the 80s. The Invaders. Uh, yeah, did yes. anyone watch The Invaders? Uh, occasionally. That wasn't something I... I, I, I talked with a lot of excitement at first, but then you, you kind of realise that because they start undoing their own mythology 
as the series trundles along. I think it's, it's often compared to The Fugitive, and the big difference between The Fugitive and The Invaders is that ultimately, in the TV series The Fugitive, he gets his one-armed man and he clears his name. Yeah. Whereas The Invaders, he's still perpetually trying to make people believe the aliens are there by the time the series stops. So it's, it's just a bit kind of... Mm. Well, uh, the reason I mentioned the invaders just on passing is because they actually did you were you aware of this? In the late nineties, they tried to reboot the invaders yes. uh, and yes. made a TV miniseries with Scott Bakula as the main That's character. Right. Yeah. Have you seen that, Justin? Uh, I remember vaguely that. Yes, I do remember that. I have seen this. They show it on the Horror Channel from time to time as a two-night miniseries. Yeah. Wow, it's the two parts of the series for the time is, I mean, even now, it's fantastic. The atmosphere is fantastic. Oh, it is. It's very creepy. The atmosphere, yes. and it's the X Files of its day, definitely. Yes, yeah. So, well, the atmosphere of the Invaders miniseries as well with Scott Bakula, fantastically creepy. Yeah. Uh, I just, it was just, yeah, it obviously wasn't the time in the late 90s to do that, but I just wanted to note, yeah, if you haven't seen that, that is definitely yeah. three hours of, of great uh, entertainment. Absolutely. No, it's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. I mean, not only that, but you get to see John Boy from the Waltons being evil. <laughs> so, you know, how, how could you possibly argue that? So, yeah, but that's the, in the early 80s, that was kind of the, the, the spirit of the age, as it were. You either, If you had science fiction in space, space opera, you had to have a disco ball with it and possibly a cheeky <laughs> robot. Um, if you were going to have a drama set on the road, there had to be a vehicle involved because yeah. people like to watch car chases. And if you didn't have either of those two things, it was your walking from place to place, putting right wrongs type yeah. of thing. And then you had things that synth. And so the mood of the eighties kind of went into this thing where it synthesised those things together. And I think what better place to talk about this? Although actually, I think there's a sort of a dividing line. The two main proponents of this, with the vehicle and the putting right runs around, Knight Rider and Airwolf. Yeah. Um, and I think you either were a Knight Rider person or an Airwolf person. I don't, I don't, don't agree with that. Do you not? No, I don't think I so. Hate, I really didn't get on with Airwolf. Couldn't do you it. Can't. Love Knight oh, Rider. You, you can't... Look ahead. No, so I'm, I'm going to say, the thing I remember about Airwolf, I mean, they both had pretty good theme tunes, right? And Airwolf, I just remember tearing around, you know, pretending to be a plane flying <laughs> kind of toys and stuff, kind of singing that, you know, that kind of catchy music. And I don't know, I, I, I loved anything with kind of vehicles and, you know, kind of vague science, science fiction-y kind of elements. Uh, I, didn't, I, I, I don't know why there would be well, one or the other, personally. When it came, I, I think... to, when it came to well, helicopter-based sci-fi vehicles, I was always yeah. a Blue Thunder man. Uh, well, well, yeah, but I wasn't picky. I was just eating it all up. The, the, yeah. The thing, they're quite, apart from the fact they both have superior, you know, vehicles in them, that, like, I don't think it's honestly a fair comparison necessarily. Um, Knight Rider is about, I mean, he's a kind of, he's kind of authorised vigilante, isn't he? Knight Rider, he's, he's a Michael Knight, he's got his car, and there's the car has a personality, it has kit, which makes it a much more yeah. kid-friendly uh, yeah. series. Ultimately, I, mean, I don't think it was—I don't think it was intended to start out as a kid, kid series because he gets shot in the face in the first episode. But um, uh, Airwolf was much more military. He was because Airwolf is a military-grade piece of equipment. Yeah. It's there for taking down armies. So he had to go, had to find some jeeps, 
people in jeeps to blow up, had to find other helicopters to blow up. Yeah. Um, and so he would often go on missions overseas and take care of some Russians who were up to some malarkey somewhere else in the world. Officially, I enjoyed it, but I don't think I was as interested in the character and what was going on. I mean, I think Night Rider... Stringfellow Hawk. Exactly, yes. Uh, and, uh, I think that had more interesting uh, things going on. I think it was a bit bland, the hero in Airwolf. It's like, yes. you know, like say, the um, Blue Thunder, you know, that was a cop, right? So... It's a bit strange to set up as Airwolf because uh, the actual super super heli- helicopter was built by this guy called Moffat who goes renegade and steals it in the first episode and Stringfellow Hawk steals it back but doesn't give it back to the government. Instead, he sort of conceals it in a in a sort of a, a, a dormant volcano, I think, or something. And, and, the, and the government, through the agency known as the Firm um, and their white suits... Uh, has to kind of pally up to him and say, would you mind going on this mission? You know, give up your, your day job of being a flying instructor, which is supposedly what he does for a living, and go go fly this mission mission for us. And we ask you to do this because you won't give us back our precious helicopter. <laughs> we, just, we, just, we just like, that's, that's a very different setup to, to Knight Rider, which has a much more family feel. You know, you've got Devon, who's kind of in charge and very English. And then you have the, the, the attractive... Um, uh, a mechanic who works on uh, the car inside the, the trailer, uh, uh-huh. and then you have Kit, and you have Michael, you know, and they go out and do their missions. And um, yeah, I, I mean, Night Rider is also about taking down criminals, ultimately people who think they're you know above the law. Um, uh, uh, and so ultimately, it's on it's on a completely different scale. I mean, it's about you know it's about the car bursting through a wall just in time to save Michael, whereas Airwolf is about you know blowing up trucks in the desert. Yes, and I think that's that is the key difference. But the point is that they do get lumped in together because then yeah. you have all the. I wouldn't. I mean, you know, I well, mentioned there was definitely the, a trend of has anyone done that vehicle yet? Oh, quick, let's do a series about a well, super version of that vehicle that's out. Exactly. Oh. One about the boat, which I'll have to get the name of, which was Thunder. Did... Tropic Thunder. Are you talking oh, about Tropic Thunder? That's <laughs> no, that's the thing. There no. was. There, I mean, they spoofed it in The Simpsons. It was a ridiculous concept, you know, whereas, you know, a car is quite flexible, a helicopter is quite flexible, but a boat isn't really very flexible as a crime-fighting instrument. Um, but, you know, that was about as far as they could get, I think, in well, terms it's a of... Bit like the, uh, it's a bit like the um, the Aquaman skit in uh, Family Guy. Hey, you better be glad you're not doing that over here in the water. I'd come I mean, and get you right there. You know, I mean, it's the same way that, you know, I mean, I suppose if they would, if they would have had enough time, we may well have had some kind of train, but, you know, it would have been equally illusory. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> in order for the boat thing to work, it has to be like a boat that can also transform and convert to a land vehicle. That's, yeah. that's the only way you can see it. It, 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 it was a Hulk Hogan vehicle, a uh, Hulk Hogan TV show, so I don't think it was necessarily... Yeah, that's why I'm pretty sure it did have... Thunder in the name, but I can't remember. Well, yeah, you're right. It's not Tropic Thunder because that's the Ben Stiller movie, but it uh, was something Thunder, but it didn't really work. So let's uh, move on. It's kind of you know they went. Oh no, actually. Because I was going to say, I mean, I saw Blue Thunder. I saw uh, the Blue Thunder was a um, sort of an also ran Trouble in Paradise. Yeah, right. A Thunder in Paradise. It's called Thunder in Paradise. Right, okay, cool. Right, okay. So I thought Blue Thunder was sort of an... It wasn't an also rad. Blue Thunder was actually... It's weird because Airwolf, for all... I mean, it's ostensibly serious because it's military level. But Blue Thunder was this... It had this kind of undertone of should the police have this crazy 
sort of helicopter gunship which can do surveillance and all of these things. Should it have? Right, that was based on a film, wasn't it? There was a film first, yes. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so that's not really. I think that counts as sort of the third man, as it were. It wasn't for children, and that's why it didn't kind of get lumped in with the rest. However. Uh, we can't obviously go through Airwolf and Knight Rider without mentioning the sadly departed Street Wolf, Street Hawk. Yes, it's one series, 13 episodes, and it's basically some executive summer going, oh, we haven't done bikes yet, have we? Well, the other <laughs> thing about the other thing about Street Hawk, and this is the thing, because I actually liked Street Hawk the best. I, I, I enjoyed Street Hawk. I, 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 I don't know the best, you, but I did like it. Can you hum the theme tune? Uh, hang on a minute. I get confused because they all sound similar. <laughs> I do know it, I, not, off the, but not off the top of my head. But I'm, uh, I'm going to hum Airwolf now just to throw you out. Yeah, but, but well, Airwolf is easy. Knight Rider is easy. Streetwalk. Yeah. This is what I, I genuinely believe this 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 contributed to the death of the series. Right. The, the, the theme tune is not memorable, really. Okay. It's kind of sort of the same as Airwolf and Knight Rider. Right. And whereas Airwolf and Knight Rider are very similar, you you can tell them apart. But yeah. Street Hawk, I couldn't remember it. I wouldn't spot it in a dark alley on a dark night. If you played me five different pieces of music that sounded a bit like the theme tunes yeah. for Airwolf and Night Rider, I wouldn't know which one was the theme tune from no. Street Hawk. So, um, and then you had, then, I mean, because then you had this other kind of genre that, that split off, uh, where we're going to lump in uh, Manimal and Automan. Oh yes, uh, both of those were quite short-lived, weren't they? Oh both- yeah, they were. Street Hawk, Manimal, Auto Man, all one series. Um, I do remember though. I do remember those very fondly. They 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 obviously touched a chord in me because I can remember them quite. I can remember a lot about Auto Man. Well, um, it's it's pretty bad. If you ever go back and watch Auto Man, it's like, oh yes. man, I right. used to watch this. It was very distinctive. You know, it was like very. Well, I think the observation has been made that you know Glenn A. Larson wasn't it? He he did it. Yes. And, you know he and, and like you got. You've got Battlestar Galactica, which is which is which is described as Star Wars for television, and then you have you have Automan, which is Tron for television, essentially. Like, well, let's get the computer-generated character and put him in the real world. Yeah. So we've only got one of them, thank God. Um, I don't remember too much about it, you know, other than he summons out Automan and he well, constructed right, Automan no, yeah, out of right. his favourite detectives. Animal and Automan both had their own set of problems for the format. Manimal, which is easy to deal with, is the fact that the effect of turning Doctor whatever his name yeah. was into any animal as long as it's a hawk or a yes. leopard or something. <laughs> that effect, well, the reason why only people only ever remember him turning into those because those expensive effects were incredibly expensive. Exactly. So turn into, he turned into lots of animals, but you could yeah. only ever see him turn into the things that they'd done for the pilot. Um, and, and that was really... So nowadays with CG, you could do... well. Do manimal and it would be great. You know, people would just even just turn into an animal all the time, and you could do whatever you wanted. It would be cheap as chips. The problem with it was, and I think this is why people are shy of, you know, you can't reboot it because the reason it got hammered by the critics largely was because it was called manimal, hmm. and they were like, they didn't even watch the show. They just went, seriously, you want me to sit and watch something called manimal? Really? 
um, you know, it wasn't even a great television show. And I think that kind of, it, yeah, the whole thing just fell apart. I, I, don't, I just get the feeling that, you know, maybe maybe in when it was in production, it was called Beastman or something. But it's, no, 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 you, you can't call a kid's show Beastman. Well, you can't call scared. a kid's show Beastman because there's a character in Masters of the Universe. Well, whatever. But, you know, I, I get the feeling it's a manimal is a very kind of, it's, it's a very kind of the neutralized sort of ferociousness. Yeah. I, I think of, of the, you know. The only the, the episode, creatures he turned into. The episode of Manimal that is burned into my memory is the one where, and it's an actual scene in that he's taking on like a corrupt dojo master or something, and at the end they're going to go, "Oh, how are you going to get him? Are you going to turn into a crocodile? Are you going to turn into a dragonfly? What are you going to do?" I don't know why they said dragonfly, you know? Oh no, get that dragonfly away! <laughs> but at the end he went, "No, hopefully." I'm going to be all of those. And then instead of turning into an animator, he learnt martial arts in 10 minutes and then beat oh. him martial arts. And it yeah. was like, you know, because they do Pike style and Crane style. And, do you know what I mean? It was just, yeah. Right. So, okay. so that was the one, the one. The one I remember was the very special episode of Manimal where he didn't turn into an animal at the end. Instead, he did martial arts, at which the audience who were enjoying it were like, no, turn into an animal. That's yeah. what we came <laughs> for. We want to do martial arts. We wanted martial arts. We watched kung fu. Uh, so yeah, so a bit of a misplay on that yeah. script, I think. Great, great cleverness, but not what the audience paid for. Uh, but Auto Man had the problem that well, it was nineteen early nineteen eighties, and they wanted to do a show about computers. Yes. Uh, yeah. The the, 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 the main guy is a nerd who makes Auto Man. Yes. And Automan is kind of his wish fulfillment. He's so Automan is a very irritating character. I don't think he was meant to be. Because yeah, he, he programmed him with the knowledge of Sherlock Holmes and James Bond. And so yeah, consequently, yeah. he hits on women. And women go, oh, yeah. oh thank you. Oh. It's like, oh, this is nauseating. <laughs> well, he, yeah, because he's he's, he works as technical support in a police station, doesn't he? That's how he gets to learn. At and all he does is... He, he inspired me to a of IT. Yes, he puts the blinds down on his little cubicle and presses a button and out pops Auto Man. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, Auto Man I'm, is a complete Mary Sue, but kind so, of a third-hand Mary Sue. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this one to just be feeling nostalgic about this and I, I will never revisit this and watch anything. No, I, I, I did. Because I just remember, all I remember is this cursor thing flying around, um, this kind of Bit. square of lights or whatever. And... And, um, and him driving down in a Tron way, doing like 90 degree turns in this kind of zooped up sports car with blue lights on it. And yes, that's, 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 that was very cool. And yes. that's all I'm going to take from that. I don't want to actually go You've back. You've taken away, I think, the best the bits of the show there, right, oh, right there. Oh, oh. Sounds pretty dire by the sound of it. Ian wants to talk about the best bits of the show, which are yeah. what? No, no, I think, he's, I, think he's, I think he's nailed the best bits oh, of nailed, the show. Oh, nailed the Yes, The car chase sequences with the car that did the sort of Tron thing. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have what I have since then seen the, the title sequence, uh, which yeah. I believe is freely available on YouTube. However, copyright infringing it may be, um, but yeah, uh, it, you just need to watch the title sequence. You go, yes, I'm not going to sit and ruin my affectionate memories of this show by <laughs> sitting through an episode. I'm still so, mourning He-Man as it is. Like I can't do it twice. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you've got the, so those were the. In a very real sense, Street Hawk, Manimal, Auto Man represent the also rans of 80s because they all you know, they came and they went and yeah. nobody really. There was also a series called Whiz Kids, if, I, if if you remember that at all. Yes, I do actually I, uh, about that. 
Carry on. Oh, which, 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 which was another one, series one, then, which is basically uh, there are these kids, I'm thinking they weren't kids, like main actor was in his 30s, trying to be a teenager. And they're really good at computers. That's pretty much what I can remember. It was like 84 or something like that. It was. I can remember, the only one I can remember about that is set in some kind of theme park with like a Conan the Barbarian set. And that's all I, that's all I remember about that show. I have no idea what it was about. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Very so good. Uh, and then, I mean, you know, because and then you have the all-dominating 80s. Now, this show, I don't believe, and I think that the opening credits will back me up on this, was, and the first few episodes, was not originally intended to be a show for kids. 18. And that show is the 18. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. It was. It was definitely not a kids series because it was a show which I was. It was a special treat to be allowed to stay up and watch the 18. Yes. It's a strange thing to say because it very quickly morphed into a program that the entire family watched to have in their team. But it is, you know, a kind of a Rambo-esque, that kind of military, go in there, save the hostages, shoot people, you know, in, in jungles and stuff. It's it's that kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, it's... it's, it's I think the strange thing about... Viewing. The 18 for me was... The, I can't remember what the first episode I saw exactly was, but it was set in, in like, a city, and there was this place there, and they were being harassed you know, there was this kind of large group of people, and they're in this kind of tower block. I don't know what it was. Yeah. And they're being harassed by some other people, and, and the A-team are helping them. But was, I didn't realise who was main cast and who was guest. So I thought the whole series was set in this particular location. And so the next episode is like, oh, it's just about four of them this week. They've broken away to do some other stuff. I suppose we'll be going back there later on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, yeah... The- the very beginning of the series, they I think they wanted to make it a successor to, you know, yeah, 70s stuff like Dirty Harry and, and, yeah. and you know, the, this crack group of elite military personnel who go round and they rough up bad guys and they bring dr- mean justice to the mean streets. And then they realised that kids loved it, so it became about um, blowing people up by putting a bomb a small enough bomb it doesn't really hurt anyone far enough away that it blows them through the air in a, a comical way it, it is they go, ah and then they're unconscious and they get arrested. it is strange to watch a series where people just spew bullets out of the ram 16 machine guns at each other from just a few meters away and no one hits anyone it's just, um, it, it, it must be an adult series to start with. No one would pitch a family series about a group of uh, mercenaries wanted by the army yes. uh, who, who serially go around machine gunning down the opposition as mercenaries. I mean, the, the thing about it is, right, that one of the things, and I'm not sure quite in what order this all took place, but one of the things about the 80s as a whole is that things that were not designed for children ended up with toy lines, e.g. your, you know, later on in the 80s, your six-inch-high plastic Robocop and yes. uh, and things like that. And the, the A-Team definitely had a hell of a lot of toys. I remember oh. sort of the, the, the uh, eight-inch figures with the rubber heads and stuff yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, they had a lot. I mean, I think oh, the thing that... that Star Wars. What? It's Star Wars, isn't it? That came along and well, totally it's the... reinvented... People realise that you can make a lot of money from merchandise. But Star Wars, of course, was for children. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah. We're, we're, well, you oh, know, but, but I will just. I mean, I, I had the matching figures. My God, I had the B.A. Baracus for Christmas. He came with a full toolkit. It was awesome. Can I just yeah, say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that, I did tend to have, have a habit of breaking off the heads, the rubber heads. Uh-huh. It, it was a problem I had being a kid. But eventually, you know, they, they released action figures yeah. for, like, aliens from the Alien movies. Yes, yes. Which um, is like, how on earth, are, you know... Huh? <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah, right, well... Between adults getting buying into that stuff. Now, I think, I think I can see the connection here. The connection is that Mr. T, uh, p- portraying in the film uh, Bosco B.A. Baracus, he was a wrestler, and wrestling was family. It was sort of American family entertainment. Uh, that's what the Wrestling Federation, they wanted to get as many tickets sold as possible, so it kind of went in that kind of monster trucks, NASCAR wrestling kind of arena. And because Mr. T was a wrestler, they went, well... Kids want to watch Mr. T being beating people up in a television series. So I think the wrestling company may have had something to do with the the way that the show went, because then they could get kids. Look, B. A. Brackus, Mr. T, he's in a show. Go and watch that. Because of course, then you've got back to um, Thunder in Paradise, Hulk Hogan doing the same thing, although that didn't work. Yeah, but B. A. Brackus, even though B. A. is a, a breakout character of. of of the A-Team. He wasn't the central character of the A-Team. He was part of a, a real ensemble. You'd, ha- you'd have, to have to have. You had to have the colonel as the brains. You had to have Face as the front man for any bogus organisations. You had to have Murdoch for the technical expertise and the fact that he could fly anything. And B.A. was the muscle who couldn't get the plates. And, the, and there was and a the, drug don't, in. don't forget that he was howling mad. Was yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was institutionalized in between stories. They, yes. they face would pretend to be a doctor and break him out. You think they recognized the same bogus doctor turning <laughs> up after a while in the same white coat? It was the eighties. They didn't have the internet. You know, very good. It's it's, it's strange because you know these people are wanted because you know they're they're convicted of war crimes during the Vietnam War, which they didn't commit, and they're pursued by the U.S. military. And it's strange how the U.S. military is kind of perceived as bungling bad guys, you know, led led by Colonel Decker. Um, it, it's it, it's like because it's like it's like really someone yes. pitched this as a series. Well, I believe no, but I believe that um, what they made a point in order not to annoy the army that Hannibal would taunt Decker by saying, "So you know, there's real bad guys in South America and Africa, and that, and you're not allowed to deal with them. So they've sent you the you know they they were essentially Hannibal would taunt them that they were like Dad's army, but." Uh-huh. Because this is what they were. The army didn't really care about the A team. It's four guys in a truck who go around mopping up, you know, dispensing vigilante justice. Do you know what I mean? Like the army, it's not really. The army's got better things to do, and so therefore anyone who was put on the A team detail must have done something pretty bad to get busted to that rubbish. A team, of course, great theme tune. But also, yeah. isn't it strange? Isn't it strange how the concept of them being mercenaries is so heavily played down in the later episodes? They basically they go around and help good causes, essentially. The little guy being put upon. Well, it's very rare for them to discuss the payment for, the for late, their services. In the later series, didn't they get a pardon, and therefore they would just in the la- in the later series? I think basically they they got executive produced to death. And they had a big audit of who watches A-Team and why. And then they came up with a new format where they were all... Essentially, uh, Robert Vaughan essentially said, now you work for me, guys. And they did missions for him. And they added someone else to the cast called... Oh, I think his name Frank Sinatra or something. Ridiculous name like that. Uh, as, as kind of a, another younger, cuter guy to the ensemble. And I think it kind of died a quiet death. It was a much more urban-based series than the last series as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, so... I mean, the thing about it is that um, 
<clears throat> the A team was um, one of the things that that sort of tied. I mean, this is why, in a way, we would call it children's television because I think it's. I mean, yeah, Airwolf did get shown at tea time, but I think maybe Airwolf got kind of commandeered. Because Airwolf was was very adult. It's the actual pilot, if you could buy it, is actually an eighteen rated thing. I don't know why. I presume there's a sex scene or there's some graphic violence. Yeah. So I mean, essentially, the reason why you had this slew of things where it's like for for older, which became you know sort of pitched for older children, yeah. was was because the you know um, I mean, what's another interesting thing and an influence on the television of the eighties is actually all of these shows, despite the fact there's no, obviously no Star Trek, because Star Trek was now movies, and until yeah. later... Um, actually, was when was Next Gen made? 88, was, I believe. 88, but that yeah. will come under... I suppose that will come under ad- adult television. But the whole but thing it, took, is, it took a long time to filter through to the UK, and it's one of the yeah. things that basically killed off Doctor Who. Gene Rodenbury issued one edict, and however much nobody else listened to him... You know, like he he disgraced himself, and that's why Star Trek was cancelled. The one thing that everybody kind of picked up on and ran with throughout the 70s and the 80s, and it it lasted for a long, long time, was this idea that every episode had to start and return to equilibrium so that you could just watch an episode and get a whole story, and there were no bits that you didn't understand because they were to do with the plot. And all of the sh- i mean all of the shows that we mention here have that kind of as a central principle night rider would go that's why they go from place to place because every week it would reset nobody knows who michael knight is he makes I a name for himself the, and the then only time dis- continuity becomes an issue is when you have a recurring villain yes and and even then they played it down they they, they just didn't really worry well, about well they always it. have the exposition scene so they say oh we yes. fought him before and he went to jail and he's out again it's, yeah. not until, it's not until you get something like uh, uh, Babylon 5 that, you know, you start you kind of delve into the concept of arcs and things like that. But you're still in the very kind of traditional, episodic nature of TV shows, aren't you, really? Well, yes, exactly. I mean, the, the, the sort of arc thing. The arc thing is fine. I mean, I think that people did, didn't did mind having a serial as long as it was a soap opera. But genre television was like, that's why, you know, Rodenbury bought that. He said... You know, science fiction television, it's all going to be done and dusted, one episode, no yeah. questions asked. That's going to be it. And, it, you know, all of the things that we can see here, continuity is not an issue. Yeah. It's always people do stuff, it ends next week, they'll do more of the same kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, my experience of these shows, well, it's probably a good thing in a way, because in the UK... Um, these programs, UK television stations bought them, presumably at a reasonable amount of money. They filled a bit of time in the schedules. I don't think British, British television stations really treated these series seriously. They knew these were expensive American series with a lot of guts and glamour to them. Well, like, and they, I mean were, and they, were, they were positioned them to try and take down homegrown entertainment that was considered popular. Like uh, Doctor Who got scheduled against the A Team, and it and it got hammered. Yes, I can see I can see how that would would go down. But I'm thinking right, like we've got one thing that we should probably we'll probably wind up on now because this sits. It's a different kind of genre show altogether that sits in between adult and family viewing. Alf. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't really remember Ralph because, at least in the UK, they didn't really treat it as it was a half-hour sitcom. They wouldn't stick it to one I mean, place in the schedule. or It did have a lot of wandering around. I mean, I mainly knew it because my, my dad was in Australia and he taped it and sent me the tapes of Alf. And that's, that's how I mainly knew about it. And then later it came onto UK television. Um, Gordon Shunway the Alien. Um, it's, it's basically E.T. the sitcom, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the one thing I do know about it, I'm pretty glad that I wasn't a big Alf fan and didn't get really into Alf is that famously the uh, finale is a real bummer. Yeah. Well, also, you, you learn that his planet's blown up, and so he's, he's last of his species, and that's a revelation that comes a little later on. So he doesn't have anywhere else particularly to go back to, because he's from the planet Melmac or something, isn't he? Where they yes. eat cats. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then, the end, and then the last series, just before he's about to get beamed up to go back to space, the, the army surround him, and he's like, I just wanted to be like you guys, he says, as he's being led away. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, how, how, it's just, <laughs> for me, it's like, really, this is what you're going to do? Like, seriously, nobody at the television company went, dudes, this is a sitcom, you know, right? You know, like, hey? Well, yeah, but the thing is, mm, I think, well, Dinosaurs isn't 80s, but Dinosaurs ends on a, on a bum note as well. Somewhat predictably so. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I mean, I I can't remember much about Alf to be honest. I mean, I just remember it being something that was kind of Muppet like. I don't think you know. Yes. I mean, that, that's about it, really. Kind of a, just a sitcom. I don't think I don't remember watching a lot of it personally. I just remember this kind of strange character, and I don't know. Just it didn't really resonate anything particularly with me. I wasn't kind of uh, particularly interested in it. No, I mean, it wasn't really. I mean, I think that the the Alf was. One of these characters who the point was that because he was like a Muppet, basically, he could say things that normal people wouldn't say. And that was the source of the humor. Yeah. Um, But then there was also this level at which, you know, oh, we've got an alien in our house. Um, We better keep that secret from the government. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. Just a really odd thing. And and I think, you know, it it does seem like a collection of notes that just don't go together um really and and yeah i mean this is what i wanted to say about there were things like the a team they tried to show that in a row and airwolf and knight rider but then when you got the ones that are on our second string like manimal street hawk auto man those were ones they had no problem about oh and uh yeah street hawk will be back in four weeks after we've shown you know football or olympics or some other kind of sporting event or darts for several weeks. But that, that's, uh, Next Generation got shunted for two weeks because of cricket. Yes. Or football. It would happen mm. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there was no... Yeah. The respect that television... Well, the point is that I think that the television stations were like, we've bought this, we can show it when we want. So live content of things that are happening now is always going to take precedence. Now in a world where everything has its own channel... different story but yeah that was the immense frustration i think and i think homegrown content was slightly prioritized because it was from britain so you can't just you know they would always carefully schedule it out of the way of anything that might introduce a six-week gap in the middle of the series so that's where it kind of yeah 
Well, I suppose because they were making it, they, they knew when the cricket was going to fall. So just, its scheduling could be... Also, it, it's easier to tuck in six episodes of something as opposed to the American series, which are all, you know, British series are six episodes long, pretty much. Uh, whereas the American series are 22, 26 episodes behemoths. You watch it for half the, the year. Like it was well, that's never how they the season. Yes, <laughs> it is indeed. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that... It, it, I mean, the thing is, American series were big. You know, Dallas was yeah. huge. Um, so they were well aware that... Uh, we were only get, getting the cream of America in the UK. We weren't getting the dross they must have had to put up with on their multiple TV channels over but there. Then when, America, yeah. then when they did buy something that might be considered drossy, e.g. Manimal, they would just go, oh, we've, we've bought this series, let's put an episode of that on. So our experience of it was every so often there'd be an episode for a week, and then maybe next week, but then the week after, you'd turn on and it would be, you know, uh, yachting off the coast of Plymouth, and you go, okay, I'll not, I can't watch that now. So, yeah, we, we, we didn't really get to see the whole lot. We didn't get to experience the joy and the pain of really liking some B series that then suddenly got cancelled in its prime with a, a massive cliffhanger finale or whatever. <laughs> the think opera cliffhangers are quite optimistic, aren't they? You know? <laughs> Um, but yes, um, but to, to end this on a, on a really bum note, let's all talk about Galactica 1980. I don't know anything about that. I'm assuming uh, it's more space opera with disco balls than ni- now the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was, my son. If only it was. Uh, I don't know why I don't know about this, so I'm, I'm intrigued, Ian. Yeah. Okay, you you have you have uh, Battlestar Galactica, which is the most expensive TV series ever made. Yeah. Million dollars an episode. Yeah. And made in a big hurry, bit of a mixed success, kind of doesn't get renewed. Um, basically, they decide to have a mid-series replacement from another series that got cancelled and bring back Galactica. But this time, they've reached the Earth. So it's set 30 years later. Adama's there, but he's got a beard. You've got no Apollo, you've got no Starbuck. Uh, you've got Colonel Tyre, you've got some you know, grey highlights in his hair. You've got no set for the bridge of the Galactica. Now you just have Adama walking around, you know, a few computer banks instead you're doing his old man walk and there's this kid genius called dr zed i believe who's nice. who's in, in charge of their operations and they got to earth and realized that the salons have followed us and the salons are going to wipe out the earth because they're so technologically backwards uh so they the initial setup was like they send down the kid boxy is now growing up and called troy and he has another friend and they go down to earth and they're trying to contact scientists and you know, try and raise te- te- technological levels well, a few Cylon agents who look like human have, have turned up on the planet as well because they crashed. And that's that's all right, I suppose, as far as the pilot goes. But when the series proper kicks in, instead there is an emergency where their fleet gets attacked. So the ship carrying all the school children crash lands on the planet Earth. And Troy and his mate become Scoutmasters, and they give all the kids Scout Kids uniforms <laughs> and escort the kids as they go about their hijinks adventures with, with no flying spaceships or explosions. Um, right. And, you know, we all remember the episode where one of the kids drank from the water and got, and got poisoned because there was a chemical plant down the road. So, so right. it becomes a big, big kind of eco story about the chemical plant poisoning people, and it all gets resolved by a Dharma landing in a flying saucer and showing him images of the future where, where the man who owns the chemical plant sees his own son dead from the chemical poison he has poured into the, into the earth wow. and, and vowing to change his ways. Well, to be fair, 
that's about as disappointing as the end of the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. So, you know, I guess that's... They were, obviously, the reboot was so faithful, they even managed to build a <laughs> massive disappointment and betrayal at the end for the audience. <laughs> um, so, great. Um, that's, uh, so, that's, that's uh, sort of American TV of the 1980s aimed at children, uh, sort of, or that children family end. So, we've still got uh, plenty of television from the 1980s to do, uh, whether we're going to collapse USA, USA and UK together when we come to deal with, you know, stuff for more mature human beings, adults, I don't know. We'll have to re-examine. But uh, probably next time, um, we're going to move on to to more years and films so that we're going through a bit more cinematically. Uh, In the meanwhile, if you want to reminisce about your uh, Galactica 1980 fan club or other such refinements, where might they go to do that, Ian? Well, they could try going to our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook. And if you just type in Revenge of the 80s, Kids, you're probably going to find us fairly early on. Uh, and of course, just go there, like, subscribe. Um, this is our community hub. Uh, we put up our podcasts there. We put links there. We find they're interesting. We have occasionally have discussions. It is our community hub. Please go there. Please become part of the great, ever-growing community of the Revenge of the 80s Kids. Uh, or alternatively, you could go to our Podomatic page, which is on uh, 80s Kids. That's E I G H T I E S Kids dot Podomatic dot com, where our podcasts are. Well, it's our current, most recent podcasts are. And you can please go there, please uh, like, subscribe, you know, whatever your podcast aggregator happens to be, and uh, leave comments or whatever. Yes, and we also have an archive. Where can we find the archive, Leo? Well, all currently all? the archive's home is is on my blog, leostelfer.blogspot.co.uk. If you find that an episode is not available via Podomatic, come to my blog where you can go down and those episodes, which is currently just the first couple, um, are available having been put into the Internet Archive of the World. So, uh, yes, and they will be there in perpetuity. So, uh, yes, that's where we go. And we'll probably set up a little page for people who desperately want to harvest all of the episodes at once somewhere else in the future. So that's what it is. I'm also doing uh, this year, apart from having my normal blog, a fairy tale serial, which is available at bridgetowntales.blogspot.co.uk. Um, and that's uh, going well and occasionally is illustrated by uh, that'll be by me uh, and um, if you want to well obviously there'll be examples of work on there you can also check out uh, my Deviant Art page or under Justin Wyatt where I've got loads of stuff on part of that so. so yes so you can find us in many places um, but you can find us right here next week at round about the same time when we will be moving on probably to discuss 1982. So uh, we could all look forward to that. But for now, it's bye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Stop! Leo, come back inside and take your coat off. Justin, kick the dog into the room. We need to have a discussion about something. It turns out someone listened and left a comment for us on our Podomatic page. Leo, would you care to read it out?
I, I would care to read that. Now, we have edited it for, for broadcast to uh, give the main points so that we can have a little bit of a discussion. Uh, you can read the full um, comment and indeed subscribe to the podcast on our Podomatic page. This is a comment from uh, username Anne Bonnie Clyde. Um, and it's regarding our show last week about, uh, well, it was about video games, but this is about our new segment about all the casting decisions. Uh, and, uh, you know, we wanted to air the controversy in this uh, matter before it starts. I cannot recall disagreeing more with many of the other point of views I've heard so far. So uh, we're in for a bumpy ride here, guys. Uh, okay. Beginning on the Who casting, I, and I read from the mail, I think the Who casting is awful, dreadful, depressing. In the same vein that Justin loathes Batfleck, I am not impressed with it in any way, shape, nor form. Capaldi does less than nothing for me. I'm sure he is a fine enough thespian, but is that really that hard to find, a competent orator? They spent a whole season, and apparently more if there really were breadcrumbs spread over the past, building up this great Clara mystery, including her chemistry with the current Doctor, and as a romantic angle. Pete Capaldi is like, decrepit, especially if you're asking me to choose between him and Matt Smith. And I don't mean just leading man looks-wise. He doesn't have the same panache. He won't be the same person, not even the same character. I don't want to see him bantering with Jenna Colburn. Shudder, you. Moving on, we talk about the Batman casting news. Ben Affleck is awesome casting. He is super charming and savoir-faire all over in a classically handsome package, a compelling stage presence of old. What leading men used to be like. He has grown as an actor, he has more gravitas now, and is able to pull off scenes with a quiet, haunting demeanour. There's no vanilla there. I have no idea where such a backlash has come from regarding this. So to your Benny boy bashing, I say bite me. He is the only reason why I even want to see the movie now. Okay, so that is the uh, comment. Uh, now, we're addressing two different things. We have a who, uh, a long-term Who fan in the house, in the shape of Ian, so we'll start with that. Your thoughts on this, uh, please? My thoughts, you know, there's this thing that long-term Doctor Who fans are well aware of, because, you know, I've seen so many Doctors in and out now that in many ways... Uh, a doctor's tenure is like weather. It's it's a season. It's, it's something that comes and goes, and then there's something else afterwards. So I'm, I'm well aware that Doctor Who is all about change and cycles. Um, I think you know Doctor Who it was, it became you know Doctor Who's relaunch in 2005 was a huge for the UK and it did spread over the world. But I think it was only really during Moffat and uh, the Matt Smith era that it became like a properly recognised hit in America. And it, it reached some sort of some, some sort of saturation. I don't know. So um, I think for a lot of people, Matt Smith might be their first Doctor, and it's a terrible thing to lose your first Doctor. Uh, and I think it's it's very it's a very normal reaction to think that the new guy coming in is going to be absolutely terrible. Always was it thus? I think there was someone who groaned when Tennant first appeared. Uh, replacing uh, Christopher Eccleston because Eccleston was tough and manly and suddenly we had this girly man David Tennant there and she was not impressed uh, Matt Smith was far too young in the part and they were trying to cash in on the uh, you know tween twilight market uh, John Pertwee classic era doctor was mainly known for comedy and light entertainment um, you know and, and who, who on earth was Tom Baker just some thespian you know Long-term fans, Capaldi does not seem out of place at all. 
is is very much like you know we've, we've got this character called Lassie. We'll think we'll cast a doc. We've, we've got this character called the Doctor. We'll cast someone who's forty to fifty to play the part. Pretty much par for the course. Uh, I, I don't really. I mean, I'm, I don't know if Capaldi's done theatre. So I don't. I never oh, really yes, thought of him as a theatre. Yes, he has. Loads of theatre. Um, but I honestly think he will. He will just knock your socks off and stick with it. You're right. It's going to change the dynamic because Matt Smith was a younger leading man, and Jenna Coleman, um, you know, the, of, of a current age, and there almost certainly is. You know, the Doctor was intrigued by Clara, and Clara flirted back with the Doctor, and Matt Smith Doctor is now established to be post River Song marriage slash death. So. River Song's had her pass on the Doctor, so the Doctor's a lot more sexualized now. So I think there was definitely a more of a frisson going on between Number Eleven and Clara. It was definitely a building tension, um, and you know that's clearly going to go out the window when Capaldi turns up. Um, but, a, I mean, we don't have. I think though that, that I mean that the chemistry and everything would change whatever Doctor turned up though, even if it was yeah, someone of age. Uh, well, would still be a that, different but, person. But, the classic example we have would be Rose Tyler, and with Rose Tyler, yeah, there was a certain lot of affection there between uh, her and Ninth Doctor, but it was a Tenth Doctor where it really just became this this kind of utterly obsessed with each other kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, so you could say it escalated once Ten came in, once the you know. Uh, so you know we're not giving a new man for Clara to fall in love with in that way. Few things. First of all, we don't know how the Doctor Clara story is going to resolve. The mystery of Clara is largely solved. We don't know how Eleven's going to uh, going to end, and we've got the fiftieth to get through and his final story to get through at Christmas. Uh, they knew he was going well in advance. They knew he was going before they brought Clara in. So this, I can I can only trust in that there is some kind of arc going on here. Uh, regardless, Capaldi will be fine, but it will be different. And I'm, I'm sorry, yes, you, I can't I can't change that for people. It will be different. Um, but I'm I'm quite confident in Capaldi's ability to pull off a compelling Doctor, but it isn't going to be one of probably you know romantic tension. I wouldn't have thought. No, I mean I th- I think that I I my reaction on on it is I would be interested to see uh, how a more because I mean one of the things about it is that I I watched. Doctor Who as a child, you know, all the way, uh, Baker, Davison, uh, the other Baker, uh, or, you know, I've watched it. Um, and when Christopher Eccleston came back, uh, I think what's interesting about it is that my attitude to Doctor Who is kind of tempered by the fact, Ian, that you are my friend, and so you're more into it than I am. So I get to watch it with some interest. And when they cast Capaldi, I suddenly re- kind of went, yeah, you know, I mean, Doctor Who's all well and good as it is at the moment. But it'll be really interesting to see how a more old school, 80s style doctor fits into the new paradigms and things that they've set up. Because now we get sort of what, you know, we haven't seen. Because Eccleston even didn't really do what was before. But that was kind no. of the idea. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, uh, Matt Smith is the closest we've had so far to a classic doctor in, in the sense he's quite uh, weird. The doctor could be quite eccentric. But, but uh, as I said, I think that yeah. the thing that Eccleston had that Smith doesn't is that Eccleston had this thing where you as the viewer didn't always trust him. And no. you always trust Matt Smith. Bow ties are cool. Fish fingers and custard. It's great. You know, it, it, he's cozy. And I, I, I think I, it's time not to be cozy on him. 
So you think the fatality with a hint of danger might be coming in? I mean, well, if, if you go, go and watch Neverwhere and see the Angel Islington, yes, and Angel Islington is a very that, disturbed being. This idea, um, well, the fact that even when you first meet the Angel Islington, um, and he's not in the episode very long, you, he manages to portray in that brief moment the fact it is an actual angel, you know, from heaven and everything. That that's the danger, even though he's serene and calm and peaceful and 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 wonderful and you know glowing white. There's something about him that's like this is a lot of power in one residing in one being here, and that that is the you know that is that kind of thing. If he can portray that, you know what, 25 years ago, imagine what he can do now. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to be. Uh, uh, I, I think it, I think it's just going to be a shock and adjustment to people who have grown up with a younger Matt Smith kind of a leading man as a doctor, as as the doctor as a young guy romantic lead. It's going to be a. Um, and all I could say, sorry, but stick with it. I think it's going to be great. Um, so meanwhile, on. Batman, Justin, uh, you you did have you said you didn't know how to respond to it, but then you gave a very eloquent response yeah. to this idea of. Well, Ben Affleck having that matinee yeah, I mean, and some gravitas now. What? I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I think that was an interesting point, and I think here's here's my take on that. And um, so I'm I, I, I'm prepared to just you know I'm not I didn't quite realise the backlash of the thing this week, and I've checked into it, and yeah, they had you know, and I think mainly it's down to, it's not it nothing to do with Ben Affleck and all the points. Uh, the comments were related to him having you know, this kind of presence and this affable savile, all that kind of thing. Uh, I've, got no, I've got no problem with that as Ben Affleck. But the problem is those qualities I don't particularly see as important in Batman. You know, Bruce Wayne, you know, fine. But when I think of Batman, I don't think of that type of person. It, it, to be honest, he's, no one has ever really nailed it in the casting for me. So every time there's a new person up, I'm like, oh, I hope I, I want them to be this person, this kind of, um, you know, intelligent detective, an older guy who's been there, you know, and and Ben Affleck, um, yes, he can act, he can do these things, but he is not, in my mind, he's not what Batman is about, you know, and and so um, all those points raised, yeah, that's fine, but they, but not for Batman. The savoir faire, you know, charming, all this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, maybe Iron Man, you know, um, but but and Tony Stark more specifically. But Batman, no, I don't want to see those points in in Batman. That's not what I want an actor to draw out. Here's an interesting uh, Christian Bale got it closer to me, you know, I, the kind of edgier, darker side. I think there has actually been a history of, um, well, I say a history two, casting reactions to actors who have portrayed Batman like there's two actors uh, being Kilmer and Clooney who you know are neither here nor there in any part of the part and then there's yeah. the two other actors who have in recent memory Keaton and uh, and Bale Bruce Wayne totally upstaged Batman in both of those performances Batman was kind of a yeah, Batman is Batman and Bruce Wayne. I think the great. problem is what happens with the casting is so they have this kind of jokey, light, chat, charismatic Bruce Wayne, and then they have Batman, who basically is just someone putting on a gravelly voice. You know, it's very serious, and there's a lot more to Batman than that. I mean, what's really you interesting know, in a way. Yeah. You know, 
Bruce Wayne is the act, you know. This is why Christian Bale got it a bit closer, even though, you know, his voice is a little bit kind of caricatured when he's Batman. But, you know, Bruce Wayne should be the act. And really what's deep down is this kind of deeply unsettled, damaged person, you know. Um, it's not meant to be effortlessly charming. And, and you know, that's not, that's not what Batman is. So I can understand from a you know an acting point of view, yeah, they'll get those people because they've got green presence, and but that's why to me they just haven't you know by and large they've always kind of missed the mark on getting that guy for the role. I, I think I think two things that come up for me. One, yeah, I think that definitely um, you're right about the fact that it's ironic actually, but many of the people you think who could embody that having an act and then doing a something a bit more serious or having that sort of suddenly being able to snap into being very grim are all people uh, who, who are associated with the other side of the fence at the moment, Marvel uh, and, and indeed the Whedonverse. If you think about uh, Nathan Fillion in Firefly, yeah. he managed to have, on the one hand, he was quite light and jaunty, but when he got serious, he managed to portray, I am now being very, very serious indeed. Yeah. And that's that thing that you want. So you've got Philly in there. I'm sure that Adam Baldwin could do it. Another Whedon. You've got to have the, you've got to have real presence. I mean, Batman intimidates people. It's not because he's got a suit with spiky edges on it. You know, he is generally terrifying when he when he kind of glares. And I don't think people have really kind of captured that. Just basically turning up, striking a silhouette, and talking like this is not you know enough. You need someone with that kind of punch that can scare the crap out of you. Um, and, I mean, the other thing I was going to say is that the other person who manages to embody that the kind of ideals of, I think there's an ideal of justice in Batman yeah. uh, that that when Batman is being Batman, he's like, well, I'm not, I am a man in a theatrical cape, but really, yeah. I'm bringing justice. Um, is is um, Chris Evans as Captain America has that idea that he takes that all very seriously. He takes these yeah. uh, he takes ideals very seriously, and I think these are things that actually have always been missing from a portrayal of of Batman because uh, it's because it, uh, you know apart from anything else is very difficult. But to give you a little bit of a, a heads up after you or sort of a, an uplift to end on a positive note, as it were, I would urge you if you can find a copy of Daredevil somewhere, it might even be on Netflix. I don't know because I own the DVD, but discounting the part the many parts particularly of the cinematic cut that don't work if you look at just right at the beginning when he goes into the pool hall as daredevil and then he grabs the guy and then he does the bit where he leaves the guy on the train tracks at that particular moment that i think is the high point of the performance as daredevil when he says you know that's not a light at the end of the tunnel that's just the 11 o'clock train if Ben Affleck can pull that spirit into his current newly found gravitas, I think you may be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no, I am I am prepared to... I, I am kind of going to stop my kind of, you know, ranting about this. That was an initial reaction. Um, but I am, you know, I am prepared to see what he does because he's a good actor and we'll, we shall see. Um, and I, that's what I'll be looking for in the performance, not just the fact that he's kind of nice and charming, you know. That's that. That is all a distraction from it. So I want sure he can do that, but I want to see that. And yeah, I'm believing you know he may well be capable of that, and I will I will look forward to seeing what he does with it. Yeah, I think I think uh, I I, 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 I think 
kind of relaxed about both casting points, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, we've well, seen this before. Heath Ledger cast as Joker had a, a reaction against it. Daniel Craig had a reaction when he was cast as James Bond. Uh, I mean, it is it is part of the trend. Maybe, um, normally, maybe that is that just see, you know, see, give them both a go. If I'm prepared to do Ben Affleck a go, then I think, you know, the comment is prepared to give uh, the new Doctor Who a go, and we, we shall see. We'll see where the cards fall. So there we go. I think that the the basic uh, reaction is, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's entirely possible. I think what is, I think what is different in this occasion. Um, I think that people who reacted against Heath Ledger, as soon as they announced to me Heath Ledger was playing the Joker, I was like, that'll be good. Uh, and yeah. like, the, the, nobody could have shaken me from that point of view. I knew from seeing Heath Ledger's CV that he would be good as the Joker. Um, but in this case, I think in both, I might be a bit more positive about Capaldi, where, where we've come up and what was come, the phrase that's come up over and over again in this short discussion is we shall see. And we could be wrong about everything. Uh, I think that's, yeah. that's what's exciting. In a way, that's, what's, that's what they've done right, is that that is exciting. We could be wrong. You know, she could be right. Or vice yeah. versa. We have to wait. Well, I'll leave worst doctor ever. And on that bombshell, I think we shall call it tonight. Farewell. <laughs> Good night. We're not a tabloid newspaper where we take that one comment that you made, Peter Capaldi, worst doctor ever, and make that the headline. <laughs> Ian Bombshell. It happens. There's like a Doctor Who forum.